pastor has been working you through 1 Corinthians. It's an amazing portion of Scripture. And so I thought I'd pick up with you on that, but maybe take a look at it from a, a real practical vantage point and thinking about 1 Corinthians 3. And maybe a subplot could be, how do you avoid division in the church? Kind of what Paul's really dressing, isn't he? Division in the church is inconsistent with the cross, with the spirit, and with the gospel. And that's kind of where he's at with us in those first couple of chapters of 1 Corinthians. We're going to pick up kind of the storyline in a moment and suggest that all of the wonderful, amazing church splits in the history of local church life, think of some of the really juicy ones, the ones that are just really full of rich gossip and they've divided people, are simply inconsistent with the gospel. And that's really where Paul's going here in chapter 3. But out of it comes some amazing principles and insights that for all of us, the more we saturate our lives with the gospel, the less we are prone to shoot one another. Think of all the cool ways you can be divided with one another. Think of all the differences of opinions. Get it really juicy right now to where it's boiling your blood. Go ahead. I'll wait. Oh, the version. Yes. We were discussing that with the pastors. Just think of all of the areas over the years. Now, as you're thinking on that, now speak into it the gospel. And what Paul is helping us to understand here is that our gospel is inconsistent with the divisions and the things that divide people. He's dealing with a very specific issue here, isn't he? He's dealing with personalities and the cult of personality and the superheroes of the faith that we all tend to identify with in this very process. So he's going he's gonna to bore in specifically with that, but its application is far broader than that, to think of all of the areas and the ways in which we find divisions with one another. And what Paul's going to help us do is simply find our way back to the gospel that redeemed us, and that gospel that redeemed us trumps division, trumps divisiveness but it has marvelous implications for mission and the mission of God. And the very principles of this passage that have great application to me as a missionary have amazing applications to you as a follower of Jesus too. The beauty of 1 Corinthians 3, it is not just for the private domain of missionaries. It is not just for the private domain of those who may go to another culture. The beauty of this is that you and I are seeking to live out these principles in such a way that they are incarnated in our context. So that's kind of where we're going. I'm calling it teaming up with God. Just how does God invade pagan cultures anyway? Now, I don't think the Northwest is pagan. I love Hawthorne Boulevard down in Portland. Man, I'd coffee on Hawthorne, boy, it's... It, that, that, is, that is probably the goth center of the Northwest, isn't it? Right in the middle of all of this, the gospel speaks to every given context that we have. We're going to take a look together in a, in a moment out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And if I could ask you, join me in prayer. 
Father, as we, as we work our way into an important portion of Scripture that is already familiar to us, Father, help us to see it in a way that inspires us both for the gospel, the unity of the body, and the mission of your church, this beautiful church to be on mission corporately together, every heart, because each of us are captivated by the gospel of the Lord Jesus. God, help us to get there today with joy and delight and the power of Your Spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Pray with me real quick. Father, please, what, what is that need? Please meet it, Lord. Protect those dear men on the truck right now as they go to seek to help. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd encourage you as a follower of Jesus, every time you hear a siren, just stop and pray. Because somebody's probably in need. And in the coming kingdom, you'll get a chance to hear how your prayers cooperated in some special way with the kingdom. Why is 1 Corinthians 3 so important? To divide or not to divide? That is the question. Churches are going to be as diverse as the human persons that are found therein. So who is the hero of the gospel invasion into Corinth? And what lesson do we learn about reaching the world? Lesson number one. Let's call it Lesson on Division 101. And my first thought for us is we're thinking about the gospel, and I'm going to use the word now with my three points. Got to be three points, right? Three points in a poem. Now, I'm not gifted in poems, so we're not going to do three points in a poem, but I do sing, and I'll sing at the end. I don't sing. I won't sing at the end. So evangelism, evangelism is teaming up with God. This was an important lesson for me uh, a number of years ago as I was sharing with the pastor about my theology of success. And in the midst of a real failure, a perceived failure, in my ministry when Sterling and I were serving in our second church planning assignment on the island of Bohol, when this priest shut down these amazing Bible studies I was having, thinking we were going to have a movement to Jesus Christ, it sent me into a tailspin, and it drove me back to a number of passages in the Scripture, this being one of them. My, my, my evangelism could be summed up as a, an evangelism of success, and, and I didn't quite know what to do when this priest shut me down. And I think, in part at least, I viewed the work of God through the wrong lens. I had the telescope going the wrong way. And a passage like this helps us understand, I think, first things first. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to read slowly through this. And I want you to ask the question, who is the hero of the invasion of Corinth? That's your task. If you have your ball pen, I want you to underline something. If, if you have electronically like me, go ahead and highlight each time you see it. Yeah, you get both. Good job. 
in this process. Here's what I want you to do. Every time, I'm going to read slowly verses 5 to 10. Every time you see the word Lord or God, I want you to underline it. Then when we're finished, I want you to go back and count them up. And I want you to tell me how many times we see Lord or God in this passage. Okay? Fair enough? I'll read slowly. Verse 5. What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants is a beautiful word, diakonos. I think the equivalent of that would be kind of today, shoeshine boy, commode cleaner. I'm a commode cleaner, Paul is saying here. It's beautiful. Through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollo's water. Look at that word, but. Beautiful contrast. But God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I've laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds. How many times? Isn't that fascinating? Paul is trying to help Corinth be mindful of the fact that the gospel invaded Corinth. Who is the superhero in the story? God is. It's God Himself. God invaded Corinth, and He was pleased to use human beings. That's even pretty cool. But they had lost sight of the fact as to who brought the gospel to them. They said it was Paul, it was Peter, it's Apollos, and a real spiritual group, Jesus. Paul says, God is the hero of the story of Corinth's conversion. And I simply state it this way. It is us teaming up with God. It is not God teaming up with us. Second lesson from this. I would suggest to us that evangelism is a process and salvation is a decision. I got that wrong in my first days of ministry. I thought... I thought all evangelism was going to boil down to 20 minutes, a simple little 20-minute presentation in that process so that evangelism and salvation happen simultaneously and it's all done. And boy, did I have to learn some important lessons. But notice how Paul words it here. He's going to pull a little term again out of his agricultural background. And he says in verse 6, Look, I planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And so in essence, what's happening is in our evangelism, you and I actually need to begin to think continuum, not point in time. Now, praise God for the point in time. You show up, you take 10 minutes to share a gospel, they get saved, and you take all the credit for it. When the reality is if somebody gets saved in a 10-minute presentation from you, you can assume they had already been prepared. Now, I know that'll pop your gospel bubble, but the reality is no one on planet Earth gets saved hearing the gospel the first time. I've only met one in all of my years in the journey. And what Paul is saying is there's this continuum. There's a time to plant. There's a time to water. And by God's grace, there's a time for harvest. 
planting, watering, harvest. And how I like to say it is this. Evangelism is not only teaming up with God, but it's also a process. So here I am. I come to faith in Jesus Christ. I come to faith in Jesus Christ reading chapter 8 of the late great planet Earth. Second time through, right there, plan of salvation. Wow, radical transformation. I got this brilliant idea. Once in a while, I am brilliant. Look at me and say, O'Neill, you're brilliant. (laughs) And I bought up. When I came to faith, I discovered things like Bibles, bookstores, Christian television, I didn't know any of this stuff. I was a good old-fashioned pagan in the projects of Reading. We didn't know, any, we didn't know your kind were out there, you know? And I came to faith, and I found there was a Christian bookstore. And I went and bought a box full of the late great planet Earth. You know what I was going to do? I ran throughout the entire city to all my buds that I did drugs with. And I said to my friends, you got to read this, 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 you got to read this. And I gave it to them all, and they read it. Two weeks later, I came back. Did you read it? 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 They said, yes, 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 yes. I said, what happened? They said, nothing. I said, no, 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 chapter 8. They said, right, after 7 and before 9. No, 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 chapter 8. Not a single one of my friends got saved reading chapter 8 in Lake Great Planet Earth. I was frustrated. I got out my Louisville slugger. I'm going to club him into the kingdom. I was, I was just frustrated. I didn't understand. Wait a God, what's happening? These are my friends. <laughs> They're not getting saved. This, this new word saved. They're not getting saved. It was a new word to me. And they didn't. Not a single one of my friends in those days and the study subsequent to it got saved. What was I having to learn? I was having to learn already in the first days this important principle, that evangelism is a process. God uniquely had been preparing my heart in a time, but I I, I viewed everyone's experience just parallel to mine. I was thinking everybody's on that same track, if you will. Everyone's on the same journey with me. And And I land at the train station of salvation. I found the Lord Jesus. It was sweet to my soul. I was, a, I was a pagan. My friends were dying. And I found life. Everybody's going to see it and respond. And you know they didn't. What was I needing to learn? Well, the soil wasn't ripe yet. And, and, and do you know the reality in kingdom service? This, this may be new news to you. The reality in kingdom service is Louisville sluggers don't work. Can I state the obvious? Here's a question that I like to ask myself, and I want to encourage you to do that. As you think about teaming up with God, fundamentally, the the, the beauty of the Christian faith is our God cares about human persons. God is not willing that any should perish. It's a beautiful reality for us. When you you come to John 3.16, for God so loved the world, These these are these amazing truths that we cherish, right? The reality is God cares about people. And this is a novel thought to me. Before I get there, God's already at work in their hearts. So you know what my job is now? Whether I'm going to Behold, 
whether I'm going to Philadelphia, whether I'm in Seattle, Ferndale. Here's the question I ask. God, where are you at work in this person's life? See, now I'm teaming up with God. It's not God, cooperate, buddy. Get with the program. It's not that way at all, is it? It's God who already, who cares about human persons. He's at work in human lives. And so, you know what I do, and this really helps me in, in my journey, in my faith. After all of these years, and all that God has equipped and poured into me, do you realize I still battle with one key thing in sharing my faith? You know what I battle with? I don't know if you do or not. I call it the Christian curse word, because all real solid curse words have four letters. Did you know that? It's the Christian curse word. F, E, A, R. You ever been there? You want to share your faith, but the knees get a little nervous. And in the middle of it, because of the nervousness and the fear for all of the various reasons, you retreat. Jim retreats. And I'm thinking, you know, God, you've invested a lot of money in me <laughs> to be your messenger. And, and after all this time, I'm still battling with that Christian curse word. And so one of the ways forward for me is to just reconnect with God by asking Him, God, where are you at work in this person's life? And that helps. It, it takes the pressure off of me. I'm now leaning into our Lord. I'm, I'm co-bearing the burden with Him because He loves and cares for human persons. And then, lo and behold, you discover He's working behind the scenes. When I was grappling with this idea, I, t I put it to the test. So, 1980, I'm privileged to take 60 students all summer on the island of Manhattan in New York City from Liberty University. And so we were on Manhattan all summer long sharing the gospel. That summer we led 600 people to Christ on Manhattan. And I had all of our team, all of our students work with me that within 24 hours we would get back into their world to begin the process of helping them now in this newfound journey to begin to find themselves walking with the Lord, getting into the local church, and growing in their faith. We got back to all 600. And then I asked the team to do this. Would you do me a favor? <clears throat> find out if they've had any previous exposure to the gospel prior to our glorious presentation. Of the 600, 599 had had dynamic exposure to the gospel prior to our glorious arrival. That was very humbling. It spoke loudly to all of us that God had already been at work in their lives. And the danger is leading 600 to Christ. Can you see me now writing my book? How to Reach New York City. You see, I could have written the book. Except for one thing. 
I asked the question, God, where are you at work? And the reality was they had already had seed planted and watered. And at the time of our arrival, it was time for harvest. And we were part of the harvest. And it was just beginning to help me understand this idea that evangelism truly is a process. So now you think of your world. You think of the context that God has placed you in. Do you realize how beautiful these principles are? While I'm trying to use them on the whole, while I was trying to use them in New York City, you get to use them right here. See, I'm under one operating assumption. You are here and not there because God wants you here. You aren't here and not there because God let you off the hook. You and I are a people on mission for the Master. And you cannot sit here in your mind as a follower of Jesus and say, I'm off the hook because He didn't send me there. Because all I do there is what we do here. Share the gospel, plant communities of faith called local churches, out of which comes more gospel ministry. You are on assignment by the Master. And guess what principles you get to use here? You go back through, you start with the basics. Hey, God, it's all about you, isn't it? You care about Ferndale. And then, Father, where are you at work? In the lives of my colleagues, my neighbors, my friends. And you just do that beautiful thing where you're beginning the process of just cooperating with God and the hearts and lives of people. And it really is a pretty cool thing in the process. God, where are you at work in His life? God, where are you at work in her life? God, where are you at work in His life? Say it with me. God, where are you at work in His life? Look at your neighbor and say, God, where are you at work in their life? Look at them, stare them down. Come on, boy. God, where are you at work in his life or her life. One more time, say it with me. God, where are you at work in his life? Now, tomorrow morning, I want you to take that question with you into your world. Let Monday morning just become this beautiful assignment where you're just cooperating with the master himself. Because guess what? Come Monday morning, he's already there, which is pretty cool. And you're just finally entering in, into the hearts and lives of people. And it's a beautiful thing. God has placed you in community. And there's some dear folks out there that you know only too well who need our Lord Jesus. And so you start asking the question, God, where are you at work in his life? And then watch what God does. (laughs) He actually is going to answer it, which is pretty cool when we engage God in his heart. So it's teaming up with God, right? God's the superhero of the story, and it's a process oftentimes. Now, when the soil is not ripe, there's a third principle I see in this passage as well. Where is strategy in evangelism? Now, Paul's going to change metaphors for us. So he's going to go from farmer to urban planner. This is fascinating how Paul changes metaphors. Join with me back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's pick up in verse 10, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. Evangelism, principle number three, often requires strategy. Let's look at this. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, 
I laid a foundation, but somebody else is building upon it. Yet, let each one of us take care how he builds. A skilled master builder. Comes from the Greek word architon. What does architon sound like in English? Yeah, so he, he goes into the architectural field, and he's going to pull out a metaphor to help us understand our work now in kingdom service, that we are architects. It, it implies the blueprint, doesn't it? It suggests premeditation. It suggests being strategic, thinking ahead in this very process. So oftentimes there is a need for... Uh, strategy. Now, where is strategy in Paul's world? We don't have time now, but this would be a fun little study to do. We took a look at God, right, as the superhero of chapter 3. Well, where is I in Paul's ministry? Sometime later today, on your own, go to 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 to 23, and with your ball pen again, underline I, me, or my in there. And depending on your various translations, you'll have anywhere up to 18 times Paul now is saying, I, I have become all things to all peoples so that by all possible means I might see some saved. Yeah, there is a place in ministry where we think through our audience. For us as missionaries, this was crucial. I cannot presume that the Boholano thinks like an American. Duh. But yet, if I'm not thinking it through, my tendency and my danger was my first two years, I treated the Boholano like a Philadelphian. And you know what happens? Absolutely nothing. Jesus is the master evangelist. You be quiet, Pastor. What was his strategy in evangelism? Help me. This is not rhetorical. If Jesus is the master evangelist, what was, what was his methodology? What can we learn from Jesus as the master? I heard it. I didn't hear it. I'm going to stare you all down. Come on, help me. Preach close. Keep going. But no. Come on. Discipleship. No, keep going. What? Oh, you're so close, sister. Look at her say she's so close. Ooh. Oh, dude, you're close. No. Yes, but no. You know, you, you. Oh, no. <laughs> you're, you're so close. Give her half a cookie. 100 times we see in the Gospels. 100 times we see in the Gospels, Jesus used questions. That was his main methodology. He, as the Son of God, asked questions to human beings. Go figure. Can we learn something 
from the master in this process of sharing our faith with the world God's assigned to us? Both in the first service, the Sunday school hour, and then this service, I was watching you. Do you know what I discovered? You folk like to talk. I saw you. And I'll bet there were numerous times in the conversations you asked each other very good questions. See, you're already halfway there. In, in, in the skill of the Lord Jesus, somehow, in dealing with human persons, he, he, he realized that it's better to ask human beings who border on pride to ask questions rather than to be directive. Can we learn from that? Jump over with me to Acts chapter 8. Just want to show you this one verse. It's almost humorous. Acts chapter 8. just pick up the storyline in verse 26. Philip, the evangelist. Beautiful story here. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south. Be careful when you're looking for the will of God. (laughs) A lot of folks have gone south with this verse to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Fascinating, isn't it? Verse 28. And was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over to join the chariot. And so Philip ran over, verse 30, and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taking away from him. Isn't this fascinating? So here you are, you're Philip, and your gift is evangelism. And you've got a prepared audience. What do you do? I bet the tendency would be you'd be so hungry for this one that you'd jump in front of the, the, the chariot, you'd stop it, you'd get that prophetic finger up and in front of his face, and you'd say, Turn or burn. Repent our prayers, dude. But but isn't it fascinating what Philip does? Even with all of the preparation. Listen, when the Spirit of God picks you up and says, go there, there's a fairly good hint that something's prepared, right? And not only that, but he gets beside the chariot and he's reading from the very Old Testament Scriptures. What chapter is he reading? Isaiah chapter 53, the suffering servant. He's coming back from Jerusalem where he's worshiping. Is this a prepared audience or what? Yeah! He's going down. And it's interesting what Philip does. It's brilliant, isn't it? And it's simplicity. It's just beautiful. He asks, do you understand what you're reading? Isn't that amazing? Hey, thank you for that. I heard that crowing of the cock. That means my time is up. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Isn't it fascinating that he asks a very good question? Hey, do you understand what you're reading? Think of the implications with, with you. On the, you're, you're on the flight. 
you're on the train, the plane with your neighbor, you're at the office, you're at school, you're chatting, and you just put a question out there. One, my, Dave, my friend Dave, he's a businessman. I love listening to him. I learned more about how to ask good questions by just listening to Dave. Dave is in, with, these, with his business associates, and he's listening to them really grumble with one another, and he'll throw a question out in front of them all and says, are you all satisfied with where you are and your status in life? And he shuts them down. And just with that simple question, all of a sudden, he forces them to just confront themselves. And all of their whining and bickering and getting drunk, they're all standing around the table together, and they stop. And then David says, if there was a better way, would you be interested to pursue it? Beautiful, isn't it? I learn from God's people in marvelous ways. Can you? Can you teach me? Can you teach one another? Can we all learn together? I'm going to just read a a brief story. Now, it's dramatic, and I know it's dramatic. And most of us don't live in the world of the drama and the dramatic. But it accentuates an important point that I just wanted you to hear, okay? Story of little Maria. Take the book, Dad. Please take the book. No, Dad says to little Maria, I don't have time. Little Maria then takes the book and places it quietly in Dad's coat pocket, gives him his lunch and gives him a kiss, and off Dad goes to work. As Dad is leaving to go to work, little Maria prays, Dear God, help my Dad read that book. I so want him to come to know you. Two years earlier, little Maria's mother had died. Due to the death, the father then became very indifferent and callous to the world around him. He had lost hope. Maria gained strength from a little church that was nestled at the foot of the mountains. God bless local churches like this. While at church one day, a missionary came by talking about his work in missions, but he also had some books. And little Maria had a happy thought. Maybe he could recommend a book for my daddy. So little Maria goes up to missionary. Missionary recommends a book for dad to read. And she gets the book and goes home. Now it's in dad's pocket. Dad's off to work. Now little Maria shifts gear and becomes prayer warrior for, little, for daddy. The town is shaken awake at 1 a.m. as the sirens begin to blare And all the townspeople go toward the mine where her daddy and many of the other men worked. All the townspeople gathered around the mouth of the cave and they waited to hear any news of what had happened because the cave had caved in on the men. Early in the morning, a cheer went up as survivors came out and many were excited to see their parents come. Maria, waiting at the cave, hoping her father would be one of them, was not one of the ones rescued. As the rescue team went deeper and deeper into the cave, that day they finally found her father and a group of eight men all together, and they had died. The rescuer came back and he described the scene to everyone this way and to little Maria. The men were all in a circle, all eight of them. One man had a little book opened to the last page. 
on it was written these words. <laughs> my dearest little Maria, thank you for putting the book in my coat pocket. I read it to the men several times. I did what the book says, and I received Jesus as my Savior. When you read this, I will be with Mama in heaven. Thank you for putting the book in my coat pocket. Oh, my love, Papa. Can a 12-year-old strategize with Jesus? To see dad come to the kingdom. Yeah. I mean, I know it's dramatic, but, but what's she doing? She's thinking, isn't she? Strategically, she's thinking, well, maybe a book. She gets a book into daddy's hands, then what does she do? She moves into prayer mode. Okay, God, let's work. She didn't quite expect the answer, but daddy is now with mama in heaven. And his last words were, I will see you with mama in heaven. So now here comes Monday, and God's assigned you to this beautiful part of our world. And you are here not as a pass on mission. You are here because Jesus wants you to be on mission for Him here. Isn't that beautiful? An entire movement. You're an entire team for the Lord Jesus in the process of bringing the gospel to this amazing part of our country. What are the issues? What are the concerns? What are the burdens? What are the cries of the hearts of your friends, your neighbors? In the, in the deepest, quietest moments of their hearts, where, where are they unnerved? And you ask the Lord, Lord, help me in. Help me there. And help me bless them in the name of the Lord. The beauty of faith, isn't it? It's just been said before. It's a cliche, but it's true. Just one beggar helping another beggar find a bread of life, right? And the beauty of the journey of faith. Final considerations, we're teaming up, aren't we, with the living God? Our process is joining in with God's work. And it does require strategic steps when the soil is not ripe. And one of those, very simple, very tangible, very practical, is learn to ask good questions. And then by all means, when you get back and are assembled together, make sure that part of your prayer component in your, in your small groups, your Sunday schools, or whatever they look like, force yourselves to have at least half of your prayer requests for those not in the faith. Force yourselves not to be praying only for the physicality of our lives. Jesus invites us in, yes. But force yourselves as part of your prayer agenda to be praying for one another in the expansion of the gospel, into the lives of your world. Pray for my neighbor. Pray for my friend. Pray for my classmate and keep it there until you see Jesus formed in their lives. Teaming up with God, process, at times requiring some strategy. All for the gospel. The next time you want to split this church, go back to the gospel. And be reminded that we have been redeemed because God invaded us. And let that be the foundational value of governing and guiding us as God's people. And that should help the next time we want to shoot one another. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, help us with the gospel to, to be just constantly saturated with the, the beauty 
and the love of your, your gospel for our hearts and lives. And what might this yet look like for the days to come to be on mission for Jesus right here in Ferndale and the surrounding area because you have your people here. They're on mission with and for you. May their Mondays become rich and exciting as they ask you a very simple question, where are you at work in the hearts and lives of our people? Oh God, bring great redemption to this area because these dear saints engage you on their Mondays and their Fridays. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Pastor Dave.